quick questions about Congress with Kilmer. Hi, this is Representative Derek Kilmer from Washington 6th District, welcoming you back to my podcast called Quick Questions About Congress with Kilmer. I now have a theme song um, done by my seven-year-old. Uh, and today I'm sitting down with Representative Seth Moulton from Massachusetts 6th District. Thanks for being with me. It's great to be here. Thanks so, for having me. So tell me what's, uh, tell me about Massachusetts 6th. Well, it's the best district in the country, of course, but beyond that, uh, it's a pretty special place. It's where I grew up. Yeah. Um, it's the north shore of, of uh, Massachusetts and then also the Merrimack Valley. So basically north and northwest, uh, sorry, north and northeast of mm -hmm. Boston. And, you know, a lot of people, when they think about districts these days, they think about gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. uh, the sixth district of Massachusetts has the infamous distinction of being the home of gerrymandering. Really? Elbridge Gary's house is in my district. It's still standing. Uh, he was actually a great governor, signer, uh, you know, the, of the uh, uh, Declaration of Independence. And a, complete and a completely corrupt drawer of lines. Uh, well, you know, he had this one blemish on his, on his record that's unfortunately come <laughs> to haunt us. Um, is Boston in your district? Boston is not. It's just a little bit south. Okay. So it's Are there a few any towns cities or towns that I would heard of? Or? Uh, Marblehead, Salem, uh -huh. Newburyport, Gloucester, uh, Ipswich, Andover, uh, Bedford, Billerica, sure. Saugus, and of course, Manchester by the Sea. Right. Oh, hey. Yeah. I saw the movie. It was super depressing. It is super depressing. And the funny thing is that it doesn't represent Manchester by the Sea accurately at all. It's actually a very good representation of several towns in the district, huh. uh, but not Manchester by the Sea. People, locals watch it and say, wait a minute, that's not the Manchester by the Sea accent. What What's the, um, are there uh, particularly things that the district's known for? Is it like, you know, so it seems from the movie at least like a strong fishing community? So huge fishing heritage, um, you know, real important role in the uh, in the revolution. The, uh, the, the people who, the guys who rode uh, George Washington across the Delaware, they're all from my district. Hmm. Glover's Regiment. I went to Glover Elementary School when I was How growing up. It's Not named birthplace. after Danny Glover? Uh, no. Okay, Danny all Glover. right, didn't know. Um, birthplace of the uh, American Navy. Uh, birthplace of marine aviation, um, home to uh, a lot of uh, defense companies that work to keep our nation safe and mm -hmm. support our military every day. Uh, and of course, you know, um, uh, a community for a lot of people who live and work in Boston, uh, some great schools. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a special place, and it's, and, it's my, and it's my home. It's where I grew up. So, so you grew up time. in your district, went to college near your district. Nearby. And then joined the military, right? That's right. You know, when I... Uh, got to be junior senior in college I realized that I had a lot of great opportunities in life you know I um, got to go to great schools with with the help of a lot of loans but got to go to great schools and and really hadn't done anything to give back so I said you know I want to do my part too so I looked at different options I looked at the Peace Corps I looked at teaching overseas but at the end of the day I had so much respect for those 18 19 year old kids who serve on the front lines of our nation's military that I decided that I would that's where I'd serve and uh, so I signed up for the Marines. I made this decision uh, in the spring, summer of 2001 mm -hmm. when I finalized my plans. So mm -hmm. had no idea that a year later I'd find myself in a war, um, and, but ended up in the first uh, company of Marines into Baghdad in 2003. How was your experience overall? You know, it's, it's a hard thing to summarize. I did four tours in Iraq um, uh, on the ground in the infantry. It was uh, some of the worst days of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but strangely, also some of the best days. Um, I have such undying admiration for the great Americans that I served with. 
and it was people from all over this country. You know, in, in my platoon, I had Marines from Massachusetts and Vermont, but also from Alabama and Texas, um, from a gated community outside of Park City, Utah, um, to you know, inner city Brooklyn, New York. We came together with remarkably different backgrounds, different mm-hmm. religious beliefs, different political beliefs. But at the end of the day, we were able to set aside those differences to do what's best for our country. And that was an important lesson. You know, actually, that's what I think we ought to be doing in Congress is, you know, we each represent different districts around the country, uh, 435 of them, in fact, with different issues, different um, perspectives. But we ought to be able to come together in Washington and at least agree on enough to do what's best for America. Yeah. So I guess sticking with that theme of your service to the country, what 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 was the driver for you to choose to run for Congress? Yeah, so I did not grow up interested in politics. This is not where I expected to be a few mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, the practical driver was that I was recruited by a nonprofit that's trying to get veterans to run for Congress at a time when we've never had fewer veterans in Congress uh, than ever in our nation's history. Mm. So... Uh, they're recruiting veterans, not just of mil- the military, by the way, but of national service organizations like uh, Teach for America, City Year, Peace Corps. It's a group called New Politics, founded by a City Year alumna herself. And uh, she called me um, and said, you ought to run for Congress. And I said, no. I said, that's a crazy idea. What <laughs> the heck are you talking about? a man of sound mind. Yeah. But um, it, to make a very long story short, and over time, uh, she convinced me that this would be uh, a place where I could serve again. And I thought back to the experience I had in Iraq, and there was one sort of salient anecdote, I guess. There was a time in 2004 when a young Marine in my platoon looked up at me and said, you know, sir, you ought to run for Congress someday so that this stuff doesn't happen again. Hmm. He used a Marine term for stuff, but I'm sure yeah. you know what I mean. And, yeah. and, um, and I thought back to that. He didn't convince me at the time mm-hmm. because I – came back, I went to business school, I went into the private sector, um, and like every aspiring Massachusetts politician, I moved to Dallas, Texas. So that's actually <laughs> where they found me in Dallas. Um, and I was like, you want me to move back to Massachusetts for this? So look, this was not on my radar screen, this was not what I was planning to do, uh, but especially with everything going on in Washington today, uh, with the Trump administration and everything else, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. How have you found it uh, in general? Well, what, I always what, say what's that, your take on this? Place? You know, I always say that Congress has exceeded my expectations, but then you ought to ask, where were my <laughs> expectations? And I think the bar was pretty low. Right. Um, I, I think that Congress has the potential to do a lot of good, mm-hmm. and there are some great people here, yourself included. Well, thanks. But um, and it's an honor to serve with people like you, people who are genuinely here for the right reasons, who could be doing a lot of other things in their lives, but um, but come here because they want to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, both back home and just in the country at large. But then, you know, there are some people who are here for the wrong reasons or people who might have come here for the right reasons but are staying just because they want to hold on to the job. And I think that's where you see a lot of the frustration, the people who are more concerned about their own political future or their party's political future than fundamentally doing what's right for the people that we represent. Is that if I gave you a magic wand and empowered you to change something about Congress? Is that what you'd change or is it something else? I think I'd get money out of politics because maybe that would enable people to focus a little bit more on on remembering why they're here and focus on the business of the people. Um, But it's why I'm so proud to be uh, your vice chair in the bipartisan working group, too, because I think that, you know, the future to better representing Americans is being willing to work across the aisle. 
Yeah. Uh, there are places where we've got to stick to our guns and, and strongly oppose what the other party is trying to do. Look, I am a staunch opponent of Donald Trump, have been since way back in the campaign, long before he came, became president. I think he is a unique danger to the country. But there are a lot of Republicans I work with every single day and uh, I'm friends with, I'm colleagues with. I'm in, a, I'm in a bipartisan workout group every morning at 6.30 a.m. in the House gym. And so that sounds punishing to me. It but, actually um. <laughs> is. You'd, you'd be surprised at how tough it is, actually. Yeah. But um, but but I think that's what we need to do more of, not less of, is work yeah. across the aisle, find places where we can agree. Um, you know, this health care debate is an interesting example because uh, the Republican bill is terrible. It's terrible for working families. It shifts the tax burden burden um, from the wealthy to the middle class. Uh, it will push millions of people, literally millions of Americans out on the street without health care. And that's going to hurt everybody, not just the millions who lose health care, but all the rest of us who are who have to gonna pay for it when they go to emergency rooms and get the most expensive health care on earth. So it's a universally bad bill. And yet if you talk to thoughtful Democrats and Republicans, we all agree there are things we can improve, improve about Obamacare. Right. So if we could just sit down across the table and have a discussion about ways to improve the Affordable Care Act, rather than getting up on this pedestal and just saying, okay, uh, I'm gonna fulfill this campaign promise and repeal Obamacare mm -hmm. and replace it with something, and then, and then not, even, not even having a discussion about what's in the replacement bill, not sharing it with any Democrats. In fact, I mean, Speaker Ryan didn't even share it with some of his Republican colleagues. Mm -hmm did not get a score, did not get it uh, evaluated for how much it would cost or how many people would lose insurance before they started voting on it here in the House. I mean, gosh, there are so many better ways to do it. And that's the kind of leadership we need. Yeah, I always find that this place is better when it's focused on solving policy problems rather than solving political problems. It's um, a great way to put it. So I, I'm, I'm curious, in part because of your military experience, you've leaned in in a really, you know, powerful and effective way on some of the issues around our national security, you know, and actually, you know, have done some tough stuff, like actually trying to lay out a plan for, you know, navigating some of these sticky Middle East issues. Um, you've been a real leader on the issue of translators and the whole refugee challenge facing some of the... Well, the, I served with them. Yeah. yeah. So I was hoping you'd just talk a little bit about both of those issues. Well, I think we need a lot of work on foreign policy. And unfortunately, the Trump administration is doing a lot of things to weaken our national security right now. Um, but America, you know, the, the, the phrase I like to use it was actually our first Marine Division motto back in um, back in Iraq, which was uh, no better friend, no worse enemy, the United States Marines. And I think that's the way people should look at the United States of America. If you're our ally, we're going to back you up. We're going to be there for you. We're not going to abandon NATO like Trump is saying, we're gonna be there for our allies. We're gonna stand up against common foes like Russia. If you're our enemy, then don't expect partisan politics from us. Expect us to stand united in opposition to you. We're gonna crush ISIS, but we're also gonna crush uh, Russia's attempt to intervene in our democratic process, in our elections. And, and that shouldn't be a partisan issue right now. That should be something where Democrats and Republicans come together to fight a great threat to our national security, to our to our way of life. So I think that if we organize around that principle, uh, we're an even more ardent supporter of our allies, uh, we're even stronger against our enemies, America would be better off. It also though requires adapting our defense to the to the to the new to the new century and to the new kind of warfare, to the cyber threats that are 
uh, so preeminent right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways, we think of military spending too often in very conventional terms. You know, how many ships do we have in the Navy? Okay, well, look, that doesn't really matter. What matters is what those ships can do. And, and you could have, we could bring back 10 battleships, but if all they can do is, you know, shoot 16-inch guns uh, and they can't deal with the cyber threat, then how effective is that going to be? So we got a lot of work to do to improve our defense, but it's something where we should be able to find bipartisan cooperation. And unfortunately, instead, we're seeing just some really partisan um, extremist policies from the Trump administration. The Muslim ban, for example, dramatically weakens our national security, makes it much harder to work with those translators, those intelligence sources uh, overseas that you, that you mentioned that I've been supporting uh, when they need to come here to, to just, just save themselves from, from the terrorists that are, are our common enemies. Uh, makes, it, makes it harder to uh, combat the recruitment of ISIS online when they can actually use this against us uh, when they use Trump's Muslim ban against us. So so we got a lot of, lot of work to do, but it's a place where I think Democrats and Republicans can come together. Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. And I think as you talk to people who've been here a long time, that's historically where they've been able to forge some But we also got to come together on our economy back here at home, yeah. too, because we got a lot of work to do to grow jobs. And, you know, Trump's economic vision is so pessimistic. It's so backwards looking. It's saying, let's go back into the coal mines. Let's go uh, get those manufacturing jobs back from Mexico when, you know what, most of them didn't go to Mexico. They got automated out of existence. And so we as Democrats have an opportunity to talk about how everybody in America needs to be a part of the new economy, uh, the, the gig economy, the digital economy, uh, where we don't just need, you know, Boston, Massachusetts and Silicon Valley uh, and Seattle to be a part of the new economy, but we need we need every town and city in Washington and Massachusetts and in middle America and Iowa and Kansas and Wyoming to be a part of the new economy. We've got to show people that they can have a future in their own communities. Because yeah. that's not what we're going to, that's not what we're getting from, from Trump. I mean, even, look, most of the coal miners know that they don't, they're not going to go back into the coal mines. Coal's not really coming back. It's totally unrealistic. And in fact, many of them you know, don't want their kids to have to go back into the coal mines, but they do want to know that their kids can succeed and that they don't need to move to some coastal c- city to do so. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's a great opportunity. So I know that's something that you care a lot about. It's something yeah. we've got to work on more as Democrats, and it's something that we've got to, to share with the rest of America. So tell me, I know we're getting short on time, um, tell me the best day you've had on this uh, in this job. The best day I've had. Um, the single best day that I've had as a member of Congress was when I put on a Veterans Day town hall back in my district mm-hmm. and we invited veterans to come in and vet on veterans day and rather than just march in a parade or something come and share their stories with the community and we invited veterans to hear their fellow veterans but even more importantly we invited the community to hear from those who would put their lives on the line for our country for the for the home that we share and it was so incredibly powerful because I'm very fortunate to have come back from this war to a country that respects my service. You know, the veterans of Vietnam didn't have that luxury. But there are so few people today who understand what it's like to be in a war. You know, they respect the fact that I went and fought, but they don't get it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they don't even know how to help. I get people coming up to me all the time saying, I love veterans, I want to help them, but, but where do I begin? What do I do? Well, to bridge that divide... Uh, we put together this idea of a veterans town hall. We did the first one in the country in our in our district. Now it's spread to 
There are a few dozen that, that did them this past year, and we're trying to ex- expand them much more dramatically cool. uh, next Veterans Day. And uh, it was a powerful moment for our, our community. And uh, it showed me that uh, this is a job where I can have an impact on people's lives. And that's what makes it so special. This is the first job I've had since being a United States Marine where every single day my work can impact the lives of other people. And that's why I'm here. I know that's why you're here too. And, uh, and that's why it's an honor to continue serving the country. Thanks. That's awesome. Um, real quick, uh, when we gavel down at the end of a week, tell me about how you get home. <laughs> so I usually go to um, National Airport and hop on a plane to, to Boston. Gavel down, which at, is kind of, gavel down at noon, you're home by? Well, it's a three and a half hour trip door to door. Yeah. Um, but it's really sad because any other modern country in the world, I'd be getting on a high speed train. Yeah. And I would be there with zero carbon footprint in two and a half hours, uh, maybe even two, depending on how quite how fast the trains go. I'd be able to work the whole time. I wouldn't have to go through security. I wouldn't be stuffed in the back of some aluminum can 30,000 feet in the air. It's a much nicer, more civilized way to travel. Uh, literally every other country in the world is building high-speed rail except here in America. And uh, that's an example of the kind of investment we need to make in our future. When you... Um when you travel, that that sounds like a short enough trip. You don't have time to when when you're on the plane. Do you get time to watch a movie or no, you nothing. work? No. When I if I get on the train to New York, I get a ton of work done. Yeah. If I get uh, on the plane to Boston, most of my time is uh, in a taxi, in a security line, waiting to get on the plane, sitting on the tarmac, waiting to get taught, you know, to take off. You know, having them yell at me to turn off my cell phone or turn off my laptop or whatever, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a total waste of time. I think a lot of <laughs> Americans don't realize just how bad we have it that we're so dependent on flying yeah. uh, around the country. Um, all in all, I would trade you uh, for the um, for the commute. Uh, I've learned to really hate all of you from the East Coast. But um, So uh, I always like to end. My, my first job was... Um, uh, working at a video store in my hometown. Wow. Uh, so I always like to ask, maybe like not an your above f- board video store. It was, yeah, no, it was legit. Store. West Side Video, man. <laughs> um, I got paid, I think, less than minimum wage, but free rentals. Uh, <laughs> so I always like to know what your favorite uh, movie, or if there's a handful that that are the the molten go tos. Well, I like Star Wars, of course. Ah, oh, you're such a panderer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a great movie. It is a great movie. That's fantastic. Any others? You know, I'd like to say Manchester by the Sea because it's my district. Oh, it's super it bummer. Was, uh, yeah. Such a bummer. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> pretty depressing. Yeah. Not well, my favorite movie to watch. Well, um, listen, not only am I grateful for uh, you taking a little time to sit down with me, I'm grateful for your service uh, both to the country in the military and to the country as a member of Congress. And thanks, I'm Eric. glad to consider you a partner and friend. So thanks for being with us. Thanks. This was fun. <laughs>